You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, June 30, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Tavi Costa, partner and portfolio manager at Crescent Capital. Tavi, welcome. Hi, Ash. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Let's take a look uh, at the closing numbers on the day. It uh, looks like the NASDAQ is off about one uh, and a third percent, uh, bouncing around now around the nine, uh, around, excuse me, around the 11,000 level uh, as we close out for the day. Uh, S&P 500 off uh, a little under one percent. Dow Jones Industrial Average off spot nine percent. Uh, Tavi, obviously lots to talk about. Uh, you can see it right there on the tin on the title of the show talking about stagflation. I was just reading on Bloomberg. We are now off to the worst start of the year, worst H1 first half since 1970, a truly staggering statistic. Yeah, this is a uh, uh, old fashioned bear market looks like to me. I mean, it's uh, we're coming off so, so uh, really extreme valuations uh, in, in equity markets overall. Uh, I, in my opinion, the macro imbalances are are severe uh, as far as uh, prices. And finally, we're seeing now this uh, lack of liquidity starting to really re-rate uh, those valuations at, at much lower prices. And so uh, this right. is a very different environment than what we saw. Remember the days when people used to say inflation is positive for, for equity markets, but it certainly hasn't been the case here with cost of uh, capital rising uh, it's difficult to justify very large uh, multiples in equity markets. So um, I think I think there's a lot more to go. Personally, I, I think this is an old-fashioned <laughs> type of uh, 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 bear market. And so I, you know, growth to value uh, transition. I mean, there's a there's a lot going on in equity markets right now. Yeah, it's also an old-fashioned macro environment. You said it really well there. Lots of moving parts to this. Uh, we should say out today. Fed's preferred measure of inflation, core PCE, 4.7% per, uh, in May. Uh, obviously, this is the, 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 not the dial that they watch uh, most closely. So you have rising inflation. Uh, you've, got, uh, you've got this recessionary headwind uh, coming in terms of contraction of growth uh, in Q1 2022. Uh, and now we try and game this all out. It certainly looks like there's a rising risk of a stagflationary environment. Yeah, it's you know every everything every article in the last uh, six months or so have been all about inflation. I think we're yet to see 
the the new uh, narrative is probably going to be this this uh, demand falling off a cliff. And by cliff, I mean you know we're record earnings right now still in equity markets, uh, and it's hard to believe the consumer is not going to get hit over time here. And so this is a this is a narrative still playing out, still getting priced in the markets. Uh, and I think there's a lot more to go. I mean, it's you know cost of living is is historically elevated. You got mortgage rates moving uh, to to levels and you know, doubling uh, just in the last six months, which should should also be a hit on on consumers. Uh, savings rates uh, now are uh, somewhere close to below four percent. They were close to thirty percent relative to disposable income not too long ago with the government boost that we saw. And so uh, it, this is a very different environment. It's important to remember even wages now in real terms are collapsing. They've been collapsing for some time, but uh, and so now we're seeing this divergence, uh, which we've had in the, in our letter. Maybe you guys can can show this chart. It's a divergence between consumer sentiment relative to corporate earnings. And so the next shoe to drop should be corporate earnings. And, and you have to start thinking about what's the, the implication of that in overall markets as, as we get there. Yeah. You know, obviously a lot of moving parts here. One of the things that really struck me yesterday uh, was Chair Powell's remarks uh, when he appeared with Madame Lagarde uh, of the ECB to talk about central bank policy. I mean, Obviously, there's a lot of nuance to the way that Fed chairs discuss this. But to me, uh, the message was that he was delivering was very clear. It was damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. We're going to tighten. We're going to reduce this balance sheet. The dangers that we face on the inflationary front are just too great to ignore. The flip side of that, we've joked about it here on the show before the drinking game, uh, whenever we mentioned the Scylla and Charybdis take a drink. But this idea that the Fed is really trapped now between these two sort of mutually exclusive problematic scenarios. You know, the Fed is meant to uh, have this leeway with the dual mandate, uh, maximum employment, stable prices, uh, to try and optimize for one of those variables at a time. But when they both go off the rails simultaneously, uh, you see this risk that we see in markets today. Chair Powell, I thought yesterday, at least in my interpretation of his remarks, saying, we don't care. We are going to cause pain if it means uh, we can reduce. We just have to reduce this inflation. We're okay with letting more recessionary headwinds uh, develop. We're okay with, I think it's probably reasonable to say, uh, to see some asset price declines in the process. How do you think about it? Obviously, it's a complex scenario. How do you balance out both sides of the ledger, so to speak? Well, I think the Fed made a major mistake, obviously, in hindsight in 2021 by not looking at leading indicators for inflation at the time. And now it's about to make another mistake, which is the Fed can commit to uh, to the tightening cycle here as long as unemployment rates and labor markets don't deteriorate further. But that's a lagging indicator. We all know unemployment rate is, is a lagging indicator. And so what they should be looking at is on the consumer side, because as we see that falling apart, uh, we know companies are not doing very well. You got the rise in cost of capital. You have the wage pressure. You have even the raw material prices is still historically elevated. So they're getting squeezed on their margins. At some point, that should also lead to uh, higher unemployment rates. But that's, again, that's a lagging indicator. Once that happens, they're going to start moving again. Uh, and, and reacting accordingly, but that's going to be too late one more time. And so right. uh, we know that, and so I think we should uh, we should uh, start thinking about what's uh, what's the peak tightening cycle here. Uh, and I don't think we're too far from that personally. I, I think 
I think the 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 the, the issues in the economy are so large uh, that it's it's hard to believe we're not going to see something really break here. Uh, and we're already seeing it. Look at you know small cap companies, the crypto markets, technology companies, RKTF. I mean, everything that was doing very well in the last twelve months is is completely collapsed. And and uh, and so I, I it's hard to believe we're not going to see a major change in labor markets. You know, technology itself it's it's one of the largest parts of the economy today. Uh, you know, there's about 10% of technology companies actually uh, above the 200-day moving average right now, and this is, you know, this is pretty much near record lows. And then you may think, well, is this the the final part of the of the bear market here? I, I don't think so. You know, it's, it's just kind of the the beginning. Things are coming off so much uh, in terms of valuations historically. Uh, you know, it's still it's still the retesting what we saw back in the tech bubble of of 2000. And so, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. You know, I'm I'm very focused on labor markets because I think that's what's going to be starting to uh, cause the Federal Reserve to change their narrative as we get into the later parts of the year. I wanted to double click on something you said there that I thought was very important. By the way, for folks who are relatively new to the macro space, uh, you've got leading indicators that precede uh, a movement. You've got coincident indicators that happen at the same time, and you've got lagging indicators that occur afterward. This is one of the things that we talk about or that you hear said uh, when you hear folks say the Fed is behind the curve. Uh, They're behind the curve because you see the inflation rising uh, before they begin to tighten. Uh, You were suggesting that they weren't looking at the leading indicators at the time. Uh, as inflation was beginning to build up in the system, as price pressures were starting to increase to the upside. Tavi, where are we right now in terms of leading indicators of inflation? And what do you see uh, that suggests potentially the directionality of price pressure? So just to set the record straight, I, I'm in inflation camp. So I, I do think we're entering an inflationary environment. But I think we've seen first of the uh, most of the first wave of inflation, inflation like the 70s, we've seen three waves. And uh, so, you know, I can change my view regarding, let's say, uh, geopolitics change. And if, you know, things really deteriorate in places like Russia and in Ukraine, I think I think you're uh, you should readjust your views as well. But as of today, I think uh, certainly we're seeing a lot of deceleration on the inflation front. Uh, look at commodities; the majority of commodities are down significantly. Uh, base metals are down uh, a very large percentage over you know some of the double digits already. Net gas down somewhere close to 15% today. It's over 40% from its peak. Uh, oil prices down significantly as well. We haven't seen yet things like uh, uh, gas gasoline prices are still very high. You know, they came off about 15 cents. We're still up about a buck 50 cents all the way back to year to date. So right. uh, there, there's still a lot of issues when it comes to uh, inflation being historically elevated. Uh, but but the growth of it is certainly decelerating. And maybe that's that's what's causing 10-year yields to uh, move the way they have been moving, which has been in a decline uh, more recently in the last uh, few days of, of this reaction in equity markets. So uh, again, I, I do think that structurally, the inflation is is the inflation story is is here to stay. Uh, there are a, lo- a lot of pillars in the inflation side. The wages growth it's probably at the at very beginning, early innings. I think we're going to continue to see that pressure from consumers to earn more capital uh, from from their employers. Uh, we're also going to see the issues with capex not get reversed anytime soon from the natural resource companies. I don't think we're going to see the end of fiscal stimulus. Uh, and then the the fourth one, which is even more important, I don't think we're at the end of the geopol- geopolitical problems. I think we're at the very beginning of one. And so uh, those trends should still support the inflationary nar- narrative over the long term. Uh, but as you asked the question, short term, I think we're seeing a deceleration of that, and maybe we've seen most of the first wave of it. 
Yeah. Lots of important points there. Uh, we should say uh, WTI, uh, the West Texas Intermediate, this is the U.S. price of oil on the day, uh, off about 3.5%, closing out at 105 spot 94. Uh, this rollover really began uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the second week of June, uh, down from about 120 uh, plus, 122, I think, near the high there. Um, but as you said, also the gasoline price uh, thing, not purely just uh, a story in terms of the cost of inputs. There's also a whole refining capacity distribution play uh, that happens with gasoline in case you're wondering uh, why you see oil prices and gasoline prices not necessarily moving in the same direction. Yeah. And I would say, you know, the first part of inflation, you have companies being able to pass that on to the consumer. And then as cost of living starts to rise, you can start seeing the pressure from the consumer to earn more capital. That's when you see the reversal of this wages and salaries growth that we've seen. I would say it started really in the middle part of 2021. It started really intensifying. And that's that's when earnings start to decelerate. So companies start to get a little squeezed because the raw materials are not able to pass that on to the consumer as much anymore. Uh, and you start seeing cost of capital rising too. So that starts to squeeze the margins. And then on top of it, now we're at a phase where, which I think is the most dangerous one, uh, which is when the consumer demand falls apart too. So that's another part for corporate earnings. And so, you know, you again, I, I'm very focused on the leading side of this. And so uh, corporate earnings, in my opinion, is, is very likely to contract significantly from here. And guess what? Wall Street analysts are still predicting or suggesting that earnings are going to grow about 15% this year, 20 plus percent in the second year, and 35% in three years from now. now I think there's no way we're going to see that. So I, I actually think we're going to see a, a significant contraction similar to what we saw in the late 60s, beginning of 70s in the first wave of inflation too. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, to pick up on another data point from some points that you just touched on there, uh, consumer spending slowing, decelerating rate of gain uh, up to uh, May 0.2%. Uh, this is uh, this is from a revised 0.6% increase in April, uh, the lowest gain of the year. So you can see that cooling process, that deceleration, that compression of the second derivative. Yeah, I think the the big story is that analysts and and investors are finally starting talking about nominal versus real, uh, and I actually think we're going to see nominal contraction in demand. So you know, this obviously uh, with real terms, it's going to be even worse. Uh, so there is a big case uh, that I believe in real terms we're probably in a recession already this quarter, uh, and so. It, uh, it's, it's hard to believe the Fed will be able to do what they're saying in, in the following years, but it's, it's also hard to make a bet on on the Treasury market. Uh, it, you know, if you see, you know, Fed funds rate already pricing a 60 basis point decline uh, in, in Fed funds rate by 2023, uh, December. Uh, and so, in my opinion, there, there are better vehicles to uh, perhaps play that, uh, that catch up from the Federal Reserve as we see labor markets begin to deteriorate. Yeah, excellent points there, Tavi. This is that uh, Scylla and Charybdis, the rock and the hard place the Fed is between right now. Talking of which, I wanted to take a look at a conversation that I had with Hari Krishnan out today on the Real Vision platform on Essential Plus 
uh, and Pro that speaks to precisely that point. Let's take a look. It may be that the Fed cannot solve this problem. So if I lay it out as a proper mathematical formulation, it may be that there's no solution. There was a solution when inflation was low and growth needed to be pumps. Now there's no solution because inflation's high, growth cannot be trashed too badly, and growth gets hit first. The second point is from a trading standpoint, how do you move back and forth between betting on Fed hikes and Fed pauses? I think this is a contrarian environment. Over what horizon can be debated, I think over multi-month horizons, we're in a contrarian environment where the Fed will try and react in a way that's probably a little bit behind the curve to whatever's going on in uh, relative to the inflation picture, the um, leading indicator picture, which of course includes the shape of the yield curve and the S&P, among other things. And so you're, what you're going to see is kind of the drunken sailor outcome at this point, which is the drunken sailor is trying to get back to his hotel and he either walks too far to the left or too far to the right, trying to just walk in a straight line. And I think the lags, what lags really do, and this is the crucial point, is that they induce oscillations. If the lags are pretty pernicious, if they're bad, they induce overreactions in two directions. And I think that's what we're facing in the, in the short to medium term. Some disconcerting points there uh, from my conversation with Hari Krishnan uh, out today on Real Vision Plus Pro and Essential Tier. I should say, in the way of full disclosure, Harry and I are old friends. We wrote a book together uh, called Market Tremors, uh, talking about some of the challenges we had in the last cycle that continue into this cycle. What's interesting to me about that clip, Tavi, is the context that Hari is coming from uh, on this. Hari is a, a gentleman who has a, a PhD in, in mathematics and chaos theory. He's looking at this from the perspective of control theory, a kind of 1970s, 1980s framework for thinking about how complex systems work. And essentially what he's saying is as a mathematician, as a mathematician, there's no solution for this equation that makes sense for managing both the sides of the dual mandate for inflation uh, and maximum employment. A pretty grim assessment really uh, from Harry Krishnan. Yeah, this, this environment requires a disinflationary environment for things to not uh, completely break apart. And to me, uh, and by the way, that th those are very valid points that he was uh, that he was uh, saying. And I, I think we're facing a trifecta of macro imbalances. Um, we have the the debt problem that we saw back in the 1940s, uh, just as extreme in terms of the government debt. Uh, we're facing the the inflation problem of the 70s, in my view, uh, with wages and growth uh, uh, spiral kind of uh, uh, type of movement. Uh, and the third one, in my opinion, is this valuation of the, the late 90s and the late 20s. Uh, and so those three really constrain policymakers from do, doing much. And so uh, any sort of real deceleration of growth or contraction of growth, which I think we're uh, about to see in the next six months, uh, should cause the Fed to actually uh, reverse its policy. So, um, and I think that that's the whole story for for inflation, in my opinion, is is the fact that that's the the only way out, in my view. And so, uh, you know, I think I think this is just uh, uh, the way to look at things, how they're going to develop themselves a lot more persistently when it comes to cost of goods and services over time, given the fact of those structural imbalances in those pillars of inflation that I that I was referring to earlier. Yeah. 
Tubby, we've got questions coming in red hot now, a whole list of them. Uh, what do you say we hit some of those and talk a little bit about what some of the viewers are asking because there's some really good questions coming in. Let's do it. So first one comes to us from a mudsher, a longtime uh, viewer of ours here at Real Vision Daily Briefing. Through the exchange, this is Real Vision's internal social media network. And the question is, hi, how do you see upcoming midterm elections affecting the stock market, if at all, uh, Tavi? Hmm. I think we're about to see a shift in, in, in politics uh, leadership in a large way. Inflation usually is uh, causes those those shifts. I mean, I, I come from from uh, an emerging market and I've seen those many times. Every time you see growth in inflation, usually you tend to see changes in leadership. So I think we're about to see one of those, but I'm not sure it's going to be as uh, as as critical to equity markets and, and markets in general as a lot of people will. Uh, if if anything, it could actually uh, be a, a net positive from the from the uh, market perspective side. But I, I do think that the imbalances again are too large. Uh, as we hit a recession here, as we hit a downturn, it's hard to believe we're not going to see, for instance, deficits increasing. In average, all the way back to the 70s, uh, deficit relative to GDP increased about six percentage points in every recession that we had. And so it's hard to believe we're not going to see that again, regardless of the leadership. And sure, that may change and that might be even more aggressive depending on who is uh, taking charge. But I still think, uh, I'm not sure that's going to be as relevant as the macro imbalances will will play out. This is, uh, again, it's, uh, we were talking about old school macro environment. I think this is certainly one of those. And so uh, I would I would pay much more attention to what's happening in the economy right now. Tommy, did I hear that correctly? Deficits, not aggregate debt levels, but deficits, a flow variable increasing 6% on average per recession, meaning in sequence, it continues to compound? Uh, so I think I, sh I have a chart on this. So basically, if you go from the bottom of, of a recession, I shouldn't say the recession itself. So every time you have a recession and you look at the spike in deficit relative to GDP, usually you see about six percentage points increase. That's an average, right? So in the last recession, we saw a 13 point percentage increase in deficits relative to GDP. Uh, and so we're back now to a more normal levels, but that's it's very misleading what we're seeing today because this is accounting for 2021 uh, with uh, a lot of uh, folks, uh, you know, with uh, uh, the boost in, in, in stimulus uh, actually caused most assets to rise. And so a lot of people paid a lot of realized taxes. And so therefore, we've had a lot of gains from uh, uh, from the tax revenue side of it, which was the largest gain in history, by the way, by far. Uh, I don't see a lot of people talking about it. But if you look at a chart, even adjusted for inflation all the way back to the 60s, 40s, the, the revenue amount that we saw in March uh, was insane. And so that is that is backward looking. Now, forward looking, uh, it's going to be difficult to see the same level of revenues. And so uh, usually you have the, the fall of GDP uh, that causes uh, deficit to GDP to rise, but also government spending increases at that time, too. There are a few times in history where government spending or I should say GDP didn't fall as much like the SNL crisis. We didn't see much of a decline in GDP, but did see a large increase in deficits or I should say in in government spending. And so deficits relative to GDP tend to rise about six percentage points uh, in, in recessions from uh, from the, the, the beginning of a recession to the end of one. I don't think we actually have that chart, but don't worry, we will get it out to you on Twitter after this conversation. Uh, if you're wondering why it didn't pop up on the screen, we will definitely get that out, out to you. Uh, here's a question that comes to us from John K from the Real Vision site. This is actually something you and I were talking about off camera, Tavi, before the show got started. The question is, I remember you were a big proponent of commodities. Can you give an update on the recent industrial metal performance? And do you think their value holds up 
in case of a deep recession? Probably not. Uh, if, if we have a deep, deep recession, I, I don't think they're going to hold their value as much. But I also don't think this is 08 at all. Uh, you know, 2008, we saw, especially on the CapEx trend side, I mean, the, if you look at, if, if you can even separate by, by commodities, but base metals in terms of CapEx uh, was significantly higher. Energy was about almost three to four times what we see today. Uh, and if you adjust for GDP levels, because obviously CapEx back in 06 and 08, uh, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't do the same uh, to what we have today with inflation. And so uh, and also the economy is much larger. Uh, and so adjusted for, for GDP, I would say CapEx trends are probably at a 14, 15 year low. And so it, it's quite concerning relative to that. So that's that's a, I, I think it's a much more structural problem. And so I, in my opinion, this is a type of market where you want to be buying uh, commodities when you have a dip. And you want to be selling the markets when you have a rally. And so to me, it all, go, it all goes back to the commodity to equity ratio chart in terms of positioning. That's what we were focused on. We're focused on finding uh, the best quality commodity place that we can find and other ways that we can hedge that exposure by shorting what we think is asymmetrically uh, attractive uh, from a from a multiple perspective, from a from a, uh, a earnings squeeze perspective, from a margins perspective too. Uh, and so I think that's uh that's that's to me that's the most attractive way of of, of positioning a portfolio right now. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Here's a question that comes to us from Ralph Humphrey on the Real Vision website. It's a question we've seen echoed in some of the comments that I'm watching here uh, on Twitter as they scroll by. And the question is this, what is Tavi's view of precious metals? We've gotten a lot of other questions about gold. Uh, He also goes on to mention palladium and wheat, but specifically, Tavi, precious metals, particularly gold, something that people have been asking about here in the chat. Look, I think gold has been, even though we've been in a in a inflationary environment since CPI actually increased above the Fed's target in 2021 uh, or above two percent, uh, I would say uh, gold is one of the the asset classes that actually performed positively. Majority of assets actually declined. Nasdaq is down somewhere close to 20 percent. Uh, gold is up about five percent. Commodities are up significantly too. Uh, and you have even Bitcoin down close to 60%. So most of the risky assets certainly declined in this more inflationary environment in the last 12 months. Now, uh, what's ahead of us? You know, we've seen gold really getting, uh, really suffering from the dollar strength. Uh, that's a big part of it. The second thing has been the, the total dismal performance and collapse in global bonds, fixed income markets, m- majority of bonds, German bonds. You've seen even JGBs, uh, Canadian uh, government bonds, uh, US Treasury. Uh, it's hard to believe that it, with such a large move in nominal rates uh, and, and some some places even real rates, uh, we didn't see a even big, uh, even larger uh, hit on gold. Uh, gold has actually been honed up very well. The other thing I should point out has been the reversal of, of probably one of the biggest reversals uh, when it comes to policy stance in history. Uh, right, we went from uh, basically doubling our Fed, the Fed's balance sheet and, and slashing interest rates to zero uh, to now talking about depleting assets and taking interest rates uh, to levels that we haven't seen 
in, in many, many years when it comes to the uh, year-over-year change of those of those instruments. And so uh, the tightening policy is has had a, a, a very large impact in gold prices uh, in the last uh, months or so. Uh, but I think when we talk about the potential of a reversal of those policies, the potential for yield curve control at some point, if we see yields continue to rise, uh, those are the real policies that should move gold. Uh, and I, I'm extremely bullish. I, I have a static uh, basically a static uh, part of our portfolio where we hold exploration assets in the gold space and silver space oh. and metal uh, base metals. And so we don't move that much. So those, you know, those are going to stay there uh, in our opinion for, you know, five to 10 years. That's the goal. Uh, you know, we think that there's an asymmetric opportunity just there, but, uh, but I think gold prices is hard to believe with the trifecta of macro imbalances that we're not going to see gold prices higher not lower in the next five to 10 years. And that's the approach that I'm trying to think about of how do I maximize my gain if I believe in that? And I think it's through exploration. You know, Tommy, one of the hallmarks of a great guest on Real Vision Daily Briefing is the flow of questions coming in. My screen is lighting up right now with lots of questions from our viewers. This is a fun one, kind of a thought piece. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this. This comes to us from Gregory uh, from the Real Vision website. Uh, Tavi, are we headed to a Bretton Woods Three as Zoltan Pozar at CS. That's uh, a shop where I spent a little bit of time uh, when I was one of the young guys on Wall Street, Credit Suisse. Uh, the question effectively, and he goes on to say, i.e., do we need a new global monetary framework? Now, I know that that's a, that's a three-hour essay question, yeah. uh, but some thoughts. Essentially, what he's really asking here is, is the old system beginning to come unmoored, and do we need to begin thinking about a new global monetary framework? Is it that severe in your view, Tavi? Well, I think thankfully I don't I don't have to have a, a very strong view about. It. I think this is one of the, the the biggest macro debates out there, in my opinion, uh, is is regarding the dollar. Uh, and I, you know, my opinion, I, I I'm not as as much of a bear in the dollar as as most uh, would believe, and and that is because I do also see the point of of the imbalances that we have in Europe, imbalances that we have in terms of any other country or region that could potentially uh, replace the dollar at some point. Uh, and I don't also think that it's going to happen through the crypto market either. And so uh, gold, I believe, will play a bigger role over time. Uh, I'm not sure uh, specifically answering that question the way uh, the person wanted me to answer, but I do think that we're going to see a major demand for gold, and it's going to be very similar to what we saw back in the 70s. Remember, in the 70s, interest rates were rising, the 10-year yield were rising, so folks were selling 10-year uh, uh, treasuries uh, at a time when gold was rising at the same time. Today, that wouldn't be, uh, uh, no one, I think, would imagine a scenario like that in the next 10 years, and so certainly the holdings of foreign reserves in terms of, of other countries, uh, we've seen the sell-off of treasuries from, from, from their end. Uh, I do think we're going to see uh, an attempt from central banks to improve the quality of their, uh, or I should say, uh, the credibility of their fiat currencies. And by that, I do think we're going to see uh, another trend of uh, improvements when it comes to uh, the quality of international reserves. And I think gold is going to play a major role into this. And so to me, it's more of, of gold entering the monetary environment a little bit more like we saw back in, in the 70s and other times. Uh, as being a serving uh, a uh, a real uh, you know monetary asset uh, alternative uh, that is tangible and also uh, has history of of its credibility uh, that can potentially uh, drive better quality of international reserves and that way attempting to improve the quality of those of those fiat currencies. But I think it's messy. I think all fiat currencies are in a race to the bottom. Uh, and, you know, it, again, it goes back to why I believe precious metals are going to do very well over the long term.
Yeah. You know, if, if Jay and, and Janet and, uh, and Christine and Andrew call you and say, we need to fix this. What's your, what's your word? You know, you need to have some advice for them. Hmm. I, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, advise any of them actually. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, I can, uh, we can run a portfolio without having to make those decisions, but right. I think ultimately, uh, it, it's, you know, especially, no, I think there's, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, we, all of us want to go back in history and look at analogs and, and try to find a way, especially macro analysts and macro uh, investors in general are always looking back in history and saying, well, what, what is it uh, that we have today that is perhaps similar to those times? Uh, but, but it's very unique uh, when it comes to, as I said before, the debt problem, the valuation problem, and then on top of it, the inflation problem. We never had the three uh, all, all happening at the same time. Right. And the forties is, 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 with a lot of people actually use the 40s as an example of the inflationary environment today, I caution them because I, I don't think, you know, in the 40s, we are actually at the end of a deglobalization trend, right? We saw the World War II. After that, this was the beginning of a globalization, more globalized world, which helped the inflation problem in a large way. I don't think we're entering that environment at all in the next five to 10 years. So it's hard to believe that, uh, that, that, that it's going to play out similarly. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worried. I think this is an inflationary environment. I think gold will play its role uh, as an inflation hedge at some point. Uh, and, you know, I would much rather hold gold than treasury, in my opinion. You know, it's very interesting. This touches on the historical uh, correlations breaking down, as you mentioned, uh, between, for example, stocks and bonds. As challenging as it is to run a portfolio uh, in this environment, far less challenging than having to be a policymaker figuring out how to steer <laughs> uh, the ship through these very troubled waters. Yeah, I, I think if I was, uh, you know, and I don't want to pretend to be one and I don't want to be one at all, but um, I would certainly uh, be cautious uh, when it comes to the, those leading indicators I was referring to. I think the Fed, unfortunately, will wait until they see labor markets or I should say unemployment rate begin to rise. But, you know, there is a, a chart maybe you guys can show with uh, part time jobs is starting to increase uh, and, and diverging from unemployment rates already. Uh, we saw the same divergence to start back in 08 before the 08, before the global financial crisis. So, you know, those are signs that I would be quite worried. Uh, the other thing is on uh, initial jobless claims. Remember, uh, labor markets usually are a very good contrarian indicator. In other words, every time you get a, a very uh, extreme low or a historical low in unemployment rates, usually uh, you are at the peak of the cycle. And, and certainly, I think we are at, at near historical lows right now. I think it's at 3.6% correct me if I'm wrong. And so it's hard to believe we're going to go much lower than that right now. And, you know, I think I think this is the beginning of a problem in labor markets. And we're going to start seeing layoffs in, in technology companies. We're already starting to uh, to hear uh, that at Tesla uh, laying off some folks, too. And so those stores uh, should start emerging. And that's going to change uh, the labor market situation. And, and I think that's going to impact policy as we go. Yeah. Tommy, we appreciate you coming here and sharing your views with us today, especially appreciate the clarity uh, of your opinions. Lots of people who can analyze macro don't necessarily have this, the desire to take a strong stand on a particular position, but the idea that you see uh, central bank uh, action really favoring precious metals rather than sovereign debt, an important point that you made here today. As we come to the conclusion of this conversation, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with today. Well, to me, I mean, if, if I would think about the most contrary way to, to invest today, which I don't think a lot of people are thinking about, is 
this issue with, with the lack of natural resources is a big concern, but certainly it's, it's just being overblown in the media. Everyone is talking about it, but no one is doing anything about it either. So we're not seeing capital being deployed in things like exploration. So to me, that's the most contrarian trade of the next five to 10 years, one more time, uh, because uh, those assets are not being priced accordingly. They're not being priced probabilistically of what they have when it comes to the probability, again, of having a very large world-class discovery. And so to me, that's where the opportunity really is. And it's, it's not a capital trend. It's a labor trend because labor markets in terms of uh, the geosciences and, and, and folks that usually study uh, geology in general, we've been in a, in a secular decline of folks that have interest in that. Everyone wants to work in technology. Nobody wa wants to work in geoscience. And so mm. those are the inefficiencies that we're seeing. So that's my closing thought. Great conversation. Tommy, thank you so much for joining us here today. My pleasure. And thank you for watching, everyone. We'll be back again with Real Vision Daily Briefing tomorrow. I'll be back hosting Mark Ritchie II. Have a good afternoon, everybody. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.